All right, well, this, this past week, I, had, uh, I took a bike into Gray Goat uh, Bike Shop here in uh, Franklin. Uh, you see one of, uh, we got some bikers in here, I know, right? Yep. And uh, it was actually not, not necessarily for me, the bike that I took for me, but uh, uh, we had gotten a hand-me-down bike from my cousin. And uh, my cousin, who's now grown up, he's actually getting married today, but he had given us a, a youth bike uh, that we could have for the, the boys at some point. Uh, but when we had gotten it, none of the boys were even close to being big enough to ride it. And so uh, we did what anyone else would do, right? We just threw it in the back of the shed and we forgot about it for over five years. And uh, as we're cleaning out our shed these, in these recent week, re- weeks, we realize, hey, Uh, I think Jackson might be big enough to ride this bike. And so uh, I take the bike and I take it into the bike shop and I'm telling the guy the story and I don't know much about bikes and I'm just like, hey man, just level with me. Is it worth putting some money into this bike to getting it nice and fixed up or should we just buy a new bike? You know, just, just let me know. And he's like, no, no, no. Like this hey, you don't know what you have here. This is a nice bike. Uh, he said that this was like a $600 bike. And, uh, and he said, hey, if you just put a little bit of money into changing the tires, maybe a new chain, getting the brakes adjusted, like this, this is going to be a good bike that lasts for not only your oldest son, but probably all your sons to come. This, this, is, a, this is a nice bike. It is going to last. And so I was pleasantly surprised because I did not realize uh, the value of the thing that I had in the back of my shed. Uh, and, and I'm used to having stuff for the boys that actually do not last. Uh, for those of you especially that have boys, you know things do not last very long. Uh, in fact, uh, we've had many toys that have broken within the first minutes of being opened, right? They just, they, they crumble to pieces and they do not last. But here was something that had been given to me. And I didn't really fully realize its worth. And it was something that was going to last. Something that was going to last. Church, did you know that we were created for a world that lasts? We were created for a world that lasts. To long for things that last. And yet because of sin... Because of humanity not trusting God's words, we now experience things that don't last. Death, disease, and decay have now entered into our world, and yet there is still this longing in us for things to last. For things to last. And this morning we are once again in in Hebrews chapter 11. And remember, Hebrews chapter 11 is showing us what a faith that perseveres looks like in the life of real people. All right, the author of Hebrews has encouraged the recipients of this letter or this sermon that they need to have a faith that perseveres. And we've learned that true faith does persevere. And therefore, he's going through this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, and showing us what does a faith that perseveres look like. And so what we've seen so far in Hebrews chapter 11, we saw with Abel, Enoch, and Noah that a persevering faith worships by faith, walks by faith, and works by faith. We then saw in the example of Abraham and Sarah that people with a persevering faith, they live as citizens of the city of God, even in the midst of the cities of man. And last week we saw that a persevering faith is a faith that is tested, a faith that is tested. And this morning, 
All right, I'm not going to wait till the end to give you the main point. I'm going to give it to you right now. Uh, I'm still a fairly young and inexperienced pastor learning things every day, but one thing I have learned is that you don't get too cute or creative on picnic day, all right? And I'm not going down too many rabbit trails today, all right? That's one thing I've learned, okay? Picnic day, we're going to get right to the point. So here it is. If you're taking notes, this is the main point this morning. This morning we will see in the example of Moses that a lasting faith has faith in what lasts. A lasting faith has faith in what lasts. And I realize that maybe seems like a Captain Obvious statement, but as we go through the text this morning, I think it'll become a bit more significant and uh, meaningful to you that a lasting faith has faith in what lasts. So let's, let's pray and we will jump in. Father God, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we believe that your word is living and active. God, that it is powerful to change us, to transform us. Lord, your word has the ability to both comfort and convict us all in one word. And so we ask, God, that you would do something miraculous this morning in our hearts and in our minds. We ask that you would accomplish what you want to accomplish this morning. May we glorify you as, we, as I proclaim your word and as we receive your word. And so we trust you. We ask for your help. Keep our minds from being distracted. Keep our minds from even thinking ahead to, to what lies ahead for us even today and this week. Help us be here. Help us be present. And help us receive what you would have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews 11, verse 23. God's word says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. All right, Moses' parents were named Amram and Jochebed. Okay, they are not listed here uh, because, you know, if you can leave those names out, you know, you might as well, right? Uh, Amram was his dad, Jochebed was his mom, and here we see the author of Hebrews include them in this great chapter describing what a persevering faith looks like. And this couple, they lived in a time when the Israelites, right, God's people, they had been slaves to the Egyptians for, for centuries. And what had been happened was that God's people had been, they'd been being fruitful and multiplying and, the, and they, had, they had grown in number, so much so that the Egyptians started to become afraid of them, that, that if they would team up with an invading army, they could maybe overthrow them. And so Pharaoh starts making some evil decrees and he first commands that the Hebrew midwives start murdering all the boys that were born. And thankfully, the, the Hebrew midwives uh, did not follow through on this plan because they, fear God, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. But then Pharaoh made another decree that all the baby boys were to be tossed into the Nile. I mean, what a, what a horrific decree that is. That all the baby boys are to be tossed into the Nile. And as someone who has four boys, I don't even want to try to imagine or put myself in that situation or put them myself in their shoes. This is an evil decree by a human ruler, Pharaoh, to toss all the baby boys into the Nile. And so Amram and Jochebed, they were married and they had to decide, hey, living under this evil decree, are we going to keep having kids? I mean, that's a, that's a discussion that would have to be had, right? Like if with this decree in, in place, are we going to keep, you know, making this possible to, to keep having kids? And yet they, by faith, not only took a step of faith to conceive, but then when Moses was born, they took a step of faith to hide him for three months 
Now, if they had been found out, there would have been some serious punishments here. They would have been severely punished, maybe killed by Pharaoh. However, God's word says that when Moses was born, they hid him because they saw that the child was beautiful. They saw that the child was beautiful. Now, what does that mean? We, and, and honestly, we don't know exactly what that means. But we do know that that phrase means more than just he, they thought he was a cute baby. All right? Hopefully all of you who are parents, hopefully you all think that your babies are beautiful. All right? Uh, Britt and I make beautiful babies. You should view your own babies as beautiful, okay? It's okay to view other people's babies as maybe a little funny looking, right, at first, right? We don't necessarily think everyone's babies are beautiful and cute necessarily, but certainly our own are. But this is meaning something way more than just they thought he was a cute, beautiful baby, all right? In fact, some extra biblical materials are uh, like Josephus, a Jewish historian, which, which, by the way, anytime I pull in Josephus or something not in the Bible, we do not believe that it is inerrant. We do not believe it is inspired. And yet sometimes it can give us a bit more information and some historical information. Josephus wrote that it had been revealed to Moses' father in a dream that he would have a son that would deliver his people. Now, we don't know if that happened or not for sure, but we do know that something happened around the surrounding of the birth birth of Moses, uh, something besides him just being a cute baby, that God had revealed to his parents that this was the one that God was going to use to deliver his people. They, they knew there was something special about this baby. There was something uh, that, that, that God had especially equipped him and chosen him to do, all right? And so they saw that this baby was set apart. There was something about him that they just had to do whatever they could to hide him. And, and they, they had no fear of Pharaoh because of this. They had a greater fear of the Lord. You see, a lasting faith has faith in what lasts. And evil decrees do not last, church. They do not last. Many evil decrees have been made in the history of our world, and they do not last. Therefore, do not put your trust in the words of man or fear those who make such decrees. Instead, fear the Lord, for it is his word that stands forever. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 8, says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand for how long? Forever. Forever. You see, church, human rulers who don't fear God will at times make evil decrees in order to provide temporary fixes. But if they would only trust God's decrees, they would find lasting remedies. You see, church, the people of God have always lived in times where the possibility of evil decrees could be made. The people of God have always lived in those times where there was a possibility of evil decrees being made, but that does not mean that we should be afraid that those times might happen. You see, it is when we stop living by faith in God's word, that's when we start speculating about the future and fearing man's words and decrees. And we do this. We've, we've done this recently, right? We, we start asking ourselves the what-if questions and stirring up this unhealthy speculation and fear in our own lives. We start asking ourselves, hey, what if the government someday outlaws 
homeschooling and Christian education. Right? I've, uh, we, we ask those what if questions. What if preaching what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality, what if that gets labeled hate speech someday? What if one day Christians are considered a domestic terrorist group? Right? We ask these speculative what if questions, and I think it's just so exhausting and unhelpful and I think harmful to what God has called us to do today. But listen, I understand those concerns, and I've, I've asked those questions, and don't get me wrong, I've, I've counted the cost and considered what it might cost me and my family to unapologetically preach God's word in the year 2021 and beyond. But, but we don't need to speculate about what's going to happen next. I mean, if anyone is going to prison, it's going to be me first, and I'll tell you guys what it's like, all right? And we'll take that as, as God wanting us to start a prison ministry, and all will be well. But in all honesty, I'm actually, I, I feel much more optimistic about where we're at and the times we live in. I actually think we are headed and on the verge of revival. But regardless, regardless, here's some wisdom for us. For us who, like Amram and Jochebed, Moses' parents, have to live in times where evil decrees can be made. Okay? This is some wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 14. It says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And you can leave that verse up there for a second as we consider that. You see, what Solomon's saying here is saying, hey, listen, in days of prosperity, and, and I would say in our situation, relative peace, he says, be joyful. Be joyful. Have picnics. No one needs to feel guilty about going to a picnic today. But also, in the day of adversity, because those days will come as well, consider that God has made them both and you don't know what's coming next. God's people will sometimes live in days of prosperity and peace, and we sometimes live in days of adversity, and get this, both are from God. Therefore, let us stop this unhelpful speculation and live by faith. Let's live by faith in days of prosperity and peace, and let's be ready and willing to live by faith in days of adversity as well, and remember that both are from the Lord. Both are from the Lord. A lasting faith has faith in what lasts, and evil decrees and those who make them do not last. Therefore, we do not fear them. Instead, we fear God, and we have faith that it is his word that will last forever. And so we can thank Moses' parents here for giving us this example of not fearing the evil decrees of man, but instead living by faith in God's word. All right, we can thank Moses' parents here. Let's not skim past them too quickly to get to Moses. But what else here in this passage do we see, and especially in the life of Moses, in regards to what lasts and what doesn't? Look with me now at verse 24, Hebrews 11, verse 24. And let's see what lasts and what doesn't. 
Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. All right, we'll come back to verse, verses 24 and 25 in a moment, but focus in on verse 26. It says that he considered, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now that, that word considered there, it's, it's getting at, this is more than just an emotional decision for Christ, like we often try to make people uh, make at times, right? No, this is a thoughtful considering, this is a weighing of the facts, this is a coming to a deliberate and careful judgment. This was like Moses doing an appraisal on two properties as to what each one was worth. And he comes to the conclusion that the reproach of Christ is more valuable than the treasures of Egypt. Which, to human logic, that seems like an impossible conclusion to come to unless one comes to it by faith. But you see, by faith, he sees that the glory of Egypt will not last. But the glory of Christ will last forever. And therefore, sharing in the sufferings of Christ is more valuable than partaking of the treasures of Egypt. And so what Moses does is he identifies himself with God's people, right? He joins God's people and he suffers for it. And by doing so, he shares in the reproach of Christ. Now, the reason that Moses identifying himself with God's people can be called taking part in the reproach of Christ is for two reasons, right? Like, how is that possible, that Moses can take part in the reproach of Christ? Well, number one, the first reason that can even happen is that it's because Christ is the eternal Son of God. All right? He did not come into existence when he was born in Bethlehem, as some false teaching and teachers would like to teach, that Jesus is just a created being that showed up in Bethlehem. No, Christ existed in the Old Testament. He has existed in eternity past. He has always been. He was there identifying with his people when Moses was as well. And so Christ, we see, for, the, for Moses to consider the reproach of Christ is, is evidence that, yes, Christ is the eternal Son of God. But the second reason that we can say that, that Moses took part in the reproach of Christ, is because God has joined himself to his people. All right, God has always identified with his people so much so is that so much so that if you are attacking and persecuting God's people, you are essentially attacking and persecuting God himself. And we see this in Exodus. But we also see this in the New Testament. When Jesus confronts Saul, right? He says, why are you persecuting? He doesn't ask him, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Right? God identifies with his people. If, therefore, an attack on his people is an attack on him. 
And therefore, those of us who choose to identify with his people and suffer for it, great will be our reward. Because if you are joined with Christ and his people, and if you are persecuted for it, then the persecution is not ultimately an attack against you. It is an attack on God. And God has said that vengeance is his. That he will right all wrongs. That those who attack God will reap what they sow. And therefore, it is no foolish decision to choose to share in the sufferings of Christ. No, there is much more lasting value and worth in sharing in the sufferings of Christ than any treasures you might find in Egypt or in America or anywhere else in the world. You see, church, a lasting faith has faith in what lasts, and wealth, power, and the possessions of earth won't last. The wealth, the power, and the possessions of earth won't last. Therefore, we must not put our trust in them, and we must not make them our treasure. Okay? Moses walked away from a lot of wealth and power in Egypt because he was looking to his better reward in Christ. Now let's clarify this for a second, because what this does not mean, what this does not mean is that to live a life of faith and to be a Christian, that we must always walk away from wealth, power, and the possessions of earth. That, that can't be true, right? I mean, just think about Joseph a few hundred years before this. God did not call him to walk away from the treasures of Egypt. He got to enjoy the power and possessions of Egypt while still serving the Lord's purposes. And so for us, how are we to think about uh, wealth and power and the possessions of earth? How should we view this as Christians trying to live by faith? And here's, here's one question I think that we can ask ourselves to really diagnose and make sure we are, we are viewing these things rightly. The first question we should ask ourselves is, is this wealth, power, or possession helping me to glorify God and live according to his purposes? Or is it hindering me from glorifying God and living according to his purposes? So in the case of Joseph, him being second in command, a position of power, that was actually helping him glorify God and live according to his purposes. However, if Moses would have stayed in that position of power, that would have been hindering him from glorifying God and living according to his purposes. And so for us, we must ask ourselves, is this wealth, power, or possession hindering or helping me glorify God and live according to his purposes? And we have to be honest with ourselves. Lying is always wrong, even if it's lying to ourselves. Is this helping me or hindering me? Is this hindering me, glorifying God and living according to his purposes, or is it helping me glorify God and living according to his purposes? Another diagnostic question we can try to get to the, the heart issue, the heart motivation behind these things is, do I see this? You can ask yourself this. Do I see this as a treasure or as a tool? Do I see this as a treasure or as a tool? You see, a treasure is something that you have in a safe in the back bedroom closet that you cling to and you sleep a little easier at night knowing that it's there. Okay. 
And maybe some of you are thinking now, okay, we know where he keeps us safe, right? But there's actually, there's not much in it, all right? But a treasure, right, is something that you have back, you cherish it, you just sleep a little easier at night knowing that it's there. But a tool is very different. A tool is something you have in the garage, ready to be shared with a neighbor when they ask, or ready to be used at a moment's notice for the work that God calls you to do. Church, to live by faith does not necessarily mean that you must live in poverty. However, to live by faith also does not mean that you are guaranteed to live in prosperity. Both the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel are false gospels. To live by faith means to choose like Moses did, to not find your identity or be defined by your wealth, power, or possessions, but instead to identify with Christ and his people and be defined by who you are in him. And so, church, may we see whatever wealth, power, or possessions that God may send our way, may we see them as tools and not treasures that should be helping and not hindering us from glorifying God and living according to his purposes. And so some of you probably need to go home today and take inventory. And prayerfully consider, am I viewing this as a tool or as a treasure? Is your home a tool or is it a treasure? Is this helping or is this hindering you glorifying God and living according to his purposes? But church, know this, a lasting faith has faith in what lasts and the wealth power, and possessions of the earth will not last. Evil decrees will not last. Wealth, power, possessions will not last. Therefore, we must live by faith. And there's something else in this passage we need to see here. Um, Something else in this passage that won't last either, okay? Look back at Hebrews 11, verse 25. Speaking of Moses, again, says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now this might seem strange, but I find this verse to be greatly encouraging. And I remind myself of this verse almost daily when tempted by sin. And the reason that I say that is because as God's word often does, it does not try to cover up or, or it does not try to cover up or get around reality, but instead God's word speaks directly head on into the reality. And the reality is, is that there are real legitimate pleasures that can come from sin. There are. And so it is, it is pointless for me as a pastor to try to convince you or, or for even you as a parent trying to convince your kid that sometimes sin is not fun or that there's no pleasure that, come, that comes from sin. We know that's not necessarily true, but here we learn a much deeper truth, a much deeper truth, and that is that the pleasures of sin are fleeting They are fleeting. They are temporary. They don't last. It passes quickly. It feels good for a moment, but then poof, it's gone, and you feel emptier than you did before. It's a temporary fix for your desire for pleasure, but it provides no lasting remedy. 
The pleasures of sin are fleeting. They do not last. When I was in high school, I engaged in an, an eating contest. And it was around Easter time, and so the eating contest was to see how many uh, peeps someone could eat in a certain amount of time. You guys know the, the peeps, right? The little marshmallows coated in sugar, uh, either bunnies or little ducks, okay? And I love peeps. Uh, not as much as I did before the contest, but uh, I do still enjoy a good peep around Easter time. And so I engaged in this contest. We had a certain amount of time. It was a few, few minutes that we got, and we were just seeing how fast we could eat them, all right? And just for the record, I got second place. Second place, and that's not me trying to brag. I actually think you'll have a lower view of me after this story, okay? I got second place, but it was, I got in, it was when I got into the 50s and 60s of the peeps that I really started to just think maybe this wasn't a good idea, right? But when you're that far in, you just have to, you got to finish, you know? But let me tell you something. When you consume that much sugar in a short amount of time, there is a bit of a sugar rush that has you feeling pretty good for a couple of minutes, for a couple of, of minutes, but it quickly passes, and all you are then left with is this feeling of a boulder of a marshmallow just sitting in your stomach, and you are sick the rest of the day. And even years later, you can feel that just sickness of the marshmallow sitting in your stomach. And I know that's, that's maybe a silly example, but church, sin has a similar and yet far more detrimental effect on us. Some sin, it does feel good for a moment. But church... And all you who desire to live by faith know this, that the pleasure of sin is fleeting. It is fleeting. It does not last. And it is making you sick. A lasting faith has faith in what lasts, and the pleasures of sin, church, do not last. So don't trust them. And we must turn from these temporary pleasures we pursued in sin and trust that in Christ there are pleasures forevermore. Is this not what David sings about in Psalm 16, verse 11? He says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore, church. Is this not what we long for? We long for pleasures forevermore. We long for words that last. We long for treasures that last. We long for pleasures that last. But church, these are only found in Christ. Now kids, I know we've got kids in here. Kids, I need your attention. This is your time, all right? Kids, you remember my story about the bike in the shed, right? Do you guys remember me talking about that? Give me a head nod if you just vaguely remember a bike in a shed. All right, you're with me. Okay, all right. And you remember that I didn't know the worth that I, of the thing I had in the back of the shed. I didn't realize the worth and the value of the thing that had been passed down to me. Listen, kids, the faith in Christ that your parents are passing down to you 
Do not be like me and not realize the infinite worth and value of it. It is a valuable thing. Faith in Christ, there is an infinite worth of that thing. Do not underestimate or undervalue the infinite worth of God, his word, and his ways. And many of you, as you are getting older, you're starting to get old enough to maybe take that bike of faith and ride it for yourself and make your faith your own. And my prayer for you is that you would see and experience for yourself the infinite worth of Christ. And that any amount of light and momentary pain that might come from following Christ and tuning up your faith, it is worth the cost of knowing and enjoying him. It's worth it. And in our sin, we all, in our sin and in our folly, we have gone after the temporary fixes instead of pursuing lasting remedies. But God has been so good and gracious to us to pull back the curtain for us this morning and to show us the shelf life of some of these things that we trust in and put our faith in instead of Christ. And therefore, by faith, we must turn from these things. They don't last. And instead, we must trust Christ and his word and his ways, they will last forever. Church, the, the, the life that Moses lived by faith from beginning to end was preparing us for Christ. And there are so many similarities between Moses' life and how it was foreshadowing the coming of Christ. We, we don't have time to get into all of it today, but there were many of them, and one of them was, one of them was prior to Moses delivering Israel from their bondage, God instructed Moses to institute the Passover. And in the same way, just prior to Jesus delivering his people from their bondage to sin, he instituted the Lord's Supper. For this is the only way for us to obtain access to a kingdom that lasts forever. It is to be covered by the Lamb of God. Look back at Hebrews 11, verse 28. This will be the last verse we cover this morning. It says, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You see, the only way that the firstborns were to endure and survive the Passover night was to have their doorpost covered in the blood of the Lamb. And every year the people of God would celebrate the Passover and they were, would remember how God had delivered them from the Egyptians by striking down all the firstborns of Egypt. But the first, think about the first celebration of the Passover. It required a ton of faith, right? I mean, subsequent pass, uh, Passovers, you could at least look back and see what God had done. But the first one required so much faith that Moses had to obey God's commands and have the people put the blood of the lamb on doorposts, even though he did not know exactly how this was going to really provide deliverance for anybody. And so, yes, prior to Moses delivering Israel from their bondage, God had instructed him to institute the Passover. And it was the blood of the Lamb that provided a lasting covering and refuge for God's people so that his judgment and wrath would pass over them. And so too for us, church, we must be covered by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, in order to have a lasting covering and refuge and for God's judgment and wrath to pass over us. 
The blood of the Lamb is lasting evidence of His grace that even though we have chosen time and time again to fear man instead of fear God, to treasure the wealth, power, possessions of this world instead of Christ, and to choose to pursue the fleeting pleasures of sin, even though we have chosen these things, Christ chose to come and die for us. And He endured the wrath that we deserved so that we might experience and know the everlasting pleasures of God. What grace that is. What grace. And so to sum things up this morning, church, a lasting faith has faith in what lasts. Evil decrees won't last, but God's word will stand forever. The wealth, power, and possessions of earth won't last. See them as tools and make Christ your treasure. And the pleasures of sin won't last. But the pleasure experienced in the presence of God lasts forever. May we look forward to this reward. And may we trust that through faith, the Holy Spirit applies to us the blood of Christ that has been shed for us. May we all have a lasting faith. May we have faith in what lasts. Let's pray.